Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Did the Red Baron himself shoot down a UFO? And then we travel to Mexico to look at a field report prepared by the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Dr. Stephen Greer, one of the most renowned names in UFOlogy, traveled to Mexico to investigate some lights in the sky. But instead, him and his team had a conversation with alien life today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we got to start rolling into this. First off, the Minecraft server is back up. It's actually a different IP connection address, whatever they are, but it'll be in the show notes. The number one question people ask is, when am I playing? When am I playing? I do have a pretty regular schedule. Generally, I play for about an hour or two after I upload the episode. So... Generally, I'm playing the game by from like 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, maybe sometimes 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that, that's when I'm on. But feel free to go about, do your own thing, build little mansions or cities or, <laughs> I don't know, fight goblins. They're not goblins, but do whatever you want. Do whatever you want in the game. And we're going to keep it going for a while. I think it'll be fun for people to kind of hang out in. So the Minecraft server is back. And as long as everything goes smoothly, we're going to keep it open to everyone. And so far, everything's been going quite swimmingly. So join us in the Minecraft server. Even if I'm not there, there's a ton of other cool people on there. And now we also got to say um, thanks to our newest Patreon, Catherine Bellingham. Catherine Bellingham. I'm going to assume that is a proper British name. I don't know if she's British, but it sounds like a British name, right? Catherine of Bellingham. So, Madame... Thank you for supporting the show. Really, really appreciate it a lot. If you can't support the show, you can, even if you don't have a British name, you can support it if your name was like TikTok McGee. But if you can't support the show, regardless of what your name is, you can always help out the show by getting the word out. Getting the word out. So if you can't support the Patreon, that's fine. Just help get the word out. That really, really helps a lot. Catherine of Bellingham, here are your keys to the Carpenter Copter. Let's fire that baby up. And not only are we taking it up into the air, we're going back in time. We're going to have fun. to be fair, this isn't this isn't the most fun time period of human history, but I'm a particular fan of the subject matter of this first story. So turn that dial back to March 13th, 1917. Go ahead, turn on that carboner copter, take us off. We're now back in time. It's just before dawn. It's war-torn Germany landscape. And the Red Baron himself, Baron Manfred von Richthofen, is getting ready to take flight. Now, I'm a big Red Baron fan. I actually, I, I'm thinking about starting writing again. I'm actually, th- I don't really have a lot of time. I don't know when I'd have time for it, but I kind of miss writing. When I was in my 20s, I wanted to write a screenplay about the life of the Red Baron. He's quite an interesting figure. And I started like doing all this research and I had an outline for it. It was just pretty historical 
But I remember I was telling my little brother about my my script, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, I didn't was didn't really write much of it, but I think I wrote a couple pages of it. But I'd done all this research and outline and stuff like that, and we were talking about it. And I said, "Yeah, he's a really fascinating character. He was the first. Uh, this new device had been invented. An airplane had just been invented, and he was the best at it. Like he he created air warfare and just the whole idea of air warfare. First off, you had them use the scouting missions." Then you'd have a dude sitting in the back with a pistol. And then the other people started flying their planes, so now they're carrying rifles, and they're shooting at each other. One guy's flying it, the other guy's trying to hit a plane with the rifle. The, the planes are made of paper and wood, and then they built machine guns on the front. And you had to time it so the bullets were shooting as the propeller, like it was timed, so the propeller would move and the bullets would fly in between the blades. And you're flying like 40 miles an hour, thousands of feet in the air. And you're shooting... The whole thing was nuts. It was that uh, uh, this insane escalation of technology within a matter of, like, a few years. They had to do all this stuff. How much armor do you put on a plane? And in the midst of all of this technological changes, some rich dude was like, oh, I can do that. He was flying planes around because it was a toy of the rich. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can totally... He had, like, 80 kills in a, in a weapon of war that had never been used before fascinating character the problem was was that he fought for germany so the only thing the 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 story itself is super interesting and in an isolated bubble i think he would be considered this big war hero i think regardless of what side you were on because he was a villain to the allies but there's still this grudging respect for him and in germany and austria and all that stuff he was a hero but any story you tell with the Red Baron ends with him dying heroically in battle, and then, like, a couple of years later, Hitler takes power. So, it would be a hard sell. It basically, like, at the end, he's like, I may die, but hopefully, hopefully Germany is eventually victorious. <coughs> Even though I have been shot down, hopefully someday the German people will rise up and take revenge for my death. Like it's it's really hard to make that movie, right? So I not and it's also really hard for a guy in his twenties living in an apartment in North Highland, Sacramento, which if you know North Highlands is not a place you want to live, to write a screenplay and get it greenlit by Hollywood. But it's stuff like that's happened. I think that is more likely than me getting my But it was dope, dude. He was like fighting blimps and stuff. And I had like the tagline. It was like before stealth he was a ghost. Like, I mean, like, you couldn't stop this dude. And so I love the Red Baron. I absolutely love the Red Baron. I love that story. I There was a movie made on it, but it was kind of like a romance movie. And, oh, man, I want to see, like, planes flying and British people being like, oh, bloody hell, where is he? And then blowing up and then, but then again, like, it's, it's all British people blowing up. But the problem is, is the side he was on, so... I love the story of the Red Baron. Um, I definitely recommend looking into it. But that long intro goes into this because I have a real passion for that story of the Red Baron. It's been, a, it's been a, a good chunk of a year looking into it. And I never heard this story before. March 13th, 1917, the Red Baron and his wingman, Peter Waitstrick, are getting ready to go on a pre-dawn scouting mission around war-torn Germany-controlled areas. So they're out there flying around. I'm just going to make that sound for the rest of the episode. And they see in the horizon a disc-shaped 
aircraft. And it's coming towards them. And they see, like, lights ringing the rim of the ship. Now, obviously, we're talking 1917. War of the Worlds had come out, but they're not thinking anything like that. Flying saucers, that terminology didn't come out until the 40s. It was just this weird thing. The aircraft that the Red Baron and Peter were flying were about 50 feet wide. This thing's 150 feet wide. And they're flying They're flying the most advanced human technology on the planet, and you're seeing this. Now, Red Baron, being the dope dude that he is, just opens fire. Bullets riddling the UFO ship. Oh no, we're going down! The aliens probably said, we don't know what they said, but the bullets just shred right through extraterrestrial technology. High-quality German-made bullets. The ship begins varying from side to side. And then crashes, clips two trees, cuts him right in half. It's coming down with that much force. <laughs> crashes. Now, remember, these planes are going quite slow. The, these planes weren't built for speed. or They were, but it was just the fastest they could go. But they watch this UFO crash, and they're kind of flying around the area. And Peter says, he sees out of the wreckage, what he calls, quote, two little ball-headed guys, unquote, crawl out of the wreckage and run away. They go back to base, and they're like, Sir, you won't believe what just happened. You, you literally won't believe what just happened. We don't even know what a flying saucer is. We have no terminology for that. But this is what happened. Red Baron here, this dope dude, shot this thing down, and it crashed. And then two little bald dudes ran out. And the brass, the top brass, would it be brass in, in Germany? The top iron of the uh, military said, You can't ever tell anyone this story. And the Red Baron, being the noble soldier that he is, I'm going to get a bunch of people who are like, my great-grandfather was killed by the Red Baron, you jerk. But anyways, the Red Baron just slightly nods. He's seen a lot of horrors of war. This was nothing to him. He's just a dope dude, so he just kind of nods, walks away. And Peter goes, oh, yeah, yeah, like he said, like he said, who? whatever the Red Baron wants, I won't say anything either. And he, he also leaves. He's a big kiss-ass. So, but obviously someone said something. We have this story. Turns out that in 1999, Peter gave an interview to a newspaper and said, this is what happened. Me and the Red Baron flying around, and we shot down the UFO. I, we, actually, Red Baron did. But, yeah, we did. We did it. I, I put the bullets in the gun. That means I helped. So this story has been reported in a couple books. Uh, Military Encounters with Extraterrestrials. The Real War of the Worlds. That's a real book. I checked that out. Not from the library. I mean, it actually exists. UFOs of the First World War. is another book that this was publicized in. But the story comes from one source. The Weekly World News. Okay? So... If you don't know what the Weekly World News is, do you know what the Sun is, or the Daily Mail, or the Daily Star? Imagine something more fake than all of those. Imagine, imagine if someone came to you and said, I saw a documentary the other day, did you know that vampires sparkle when they walk out in the sun? First off, did you know vampires exist? Secondly, do you know they sparkle in the sun? Weekly World News is 100% a fictional newspaper, okay? And I'm reading this UFO insight. I'm I'm upset, dude. I'm reading. I wake up this morning. I'm reading this UFO insight. And I've done a lot of stories from UFO insight. 
I'm reading this article, and I was like, dope, my boy. The Red Baron shot down a UFO. And what's funny is the first thing that pops in your head is, but wait, how did he shoot it down? Like, sure, bullets are bullets, but... And the art, I'm not going to say who wrote the article, but in the article, it's like, yep, yeah, UFOologists do wonder how the Red Baron was able to shoot down a UFO, but kind of moves on to the next point. I'm like, fine, whatever. Then he gets down to the point about halfway through the article where the author points out that the source for this story is the weekly FN World News. That's where Bat Boy comes from. That's where... That's where... You know, like the stories about tabloids like Bigfoot is my secret lover, the president is really a mole man. That is from Weekly World News. Weekly World News, they don't publish it anymore. But it's hilarious. I did an episode about a skeleton on the moon, which is also, it's on the conspiracy theory iceberg, is also from the Weekly World News. It is 100% made up. And in this article, halfway through, says, yeah, I was in the Weekly World News. Here's a quote from this article. This really pisses me off. This is a quote from this article here. Quote, there were several points that would hurt Waits Rick's chances of being taken seriously. And this is talking about, like, the whether or not the bullets could go through the ship and things like that. Just little points in the story that people go, oh, that doesn't make sense. So back to this. There were several points that would hurt Waits Rick's chances of being taken seriously. Perhaps not least that the account initially appeared in a tabloid that had a history of pushing, quote-unquote, tall tales. The Weekly World News. At this point, my blood pressure was going sky high when I read that, but... Perhaps not least that the account initially appeared in a tabloid that had a history of pushing tall tales, the Weekly World News. This was, as Waits Rick would later explain, because no other mainstream newspapers would run the account. That's a lie. That is 100% a lie, because there's no such person as Peter Waits Rick. He doesn't exist. He never existed. We, the German aces, very, very well documented people. They were war heroes. There's none of them. There's not even a German pilot by the name. Well, maybe he was on loan from Hungary. He doesn't exist. There's a photo of him, and it's really another pilot, but his face is... I was furious at this point. Now, that's a lie. That's a lie. I'm not saying necessarily that the author goes, well, yeah, but this poor 80-year-old man was like, the world needs to know that my buddy shot down a UFO. So he's like, goes to the Tribune. He goes to New York Times. He goes to all these newspapers, and eventually no one will publish his story. So then he goes to the Weekly World News. And when he walks in, Bat Boy's sitting in the waiting room, and he's like, I have a story. No one else will publish it. That's 100% not true. Now, I don't know if the author of this article added that detail in. I don't know if it came from one of those books, Military Encounters with Extraterrestrials or UFOs in the First World War. Those books also apparently both source the story because this article sources those books as well. One of those books may have said, well, yeah, but Peter, the intrepid young, not young, <laughs> like in his 80s, but the man who wanted to get a story out walked into the week. I don't, it didn't happen. Whoever reported it first, it's 100% a lie. This pisses me off. This, and it's not just because I have an emotional connection to the to the story of the Red Baron, because I really, really think it's a cool guy. This is the problem with this whole industry. I'm not going to go on a big, lengthy rant, but this is the whole problem. You know what's funny? A long time... So when you quit Patreon... And I'll, let me say this too, guys. If you guys quit Patreon, I don't care. I might have said this before, but I don't care. You donate a couple bucks. 
you're doing it for a month or two and then you have financial trouble or or I don't care, dude. I, I, it, it doesn't bug me. If I think you're gaming the system, if I think you're donating a dollar every two months to hear your name over and over again, obviously I'm, I care about that. I think that's that's rude. But one person said, I'm too skeptical. They stopped donating. And again, I you totally have a right to stop donating and show. It's totally fine. But they said, I'm too skeptical of stuff that I don't already believe in. This is why I'm very skeptical. This is why. The Charles Dawson story that we covered, the Civil War of the World, I thought that was funny, that he kind of hoodwinked people. They didn't mean to do it. It was published on April 1st, 10 years ago. It was a joke. This is an article that was published a couple weeks ago, and has been repeated in books. This is why I'm skeptical, and this is why you should be skeptical. So I double-check stuff. When I did double-check this article, I found a forum about someone mentioned it on a World War I forum, and they said that he didn't fly the airplane during that time period, that pilot didn't exist. So, I, But it pisses me off because most people don't do that. Most people don't have the time to double-check this stuff. Pisses me off. And you know what? That gives me the perfect lead-in for my next story. Catherine, fire up that carbon copter because I'm heated. I'm heated. It Catherine's like scooting to one side of the helicopter. No, no, no. I'm not heated at you. I'm just heated at this whole, this, this, what? Catherine, (laughs) Catherine, go ahead. Take control of the carbon copter. We are headed out to Mexico. We're specifically going to the Las Mitras Mountains. Las Mitras Mountains. This is back in the year 1994. It's a period of time between December 11th and December 14th. Now, Dr. Stephen Greer, I think even if you if if you follow UFOlogy, if you follow paranormal, you know that name. You may not know the exact context, but he is pretty much the leading UFO researcher. He's the head of the Disclosure Project, which is a way to get like civilian specialists and members of the government, members of the military to come forward and talk about how aliens are real. He's also the head of the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And, oh my god, this this story is, this story, we can't take this stuff, okay, okay, when the leading people of the group are nuts, allegedly nuts, you can't take anything seriously, and I feel bad for the military officials and for the scientists that are getting wrapped up in this stuff. And they go, yeah, you're right. I do think that there might be some technology that's not being exhibited to humans. Or I believe that maybe some sort of extraterrestrial. And then C. SETI is like, yes, and did you know? (laughs) And you're getting these rational people who are roped into this utter nonsense. C. SETI are the ones who believe in this thing called coherent thought sequencing. So you sit out in the middle of nowhere and you focus on... Like aliens, like telepathically talking to aliens, which I would be shocked if these people don't just focus on aliens all the time. Hey, what are you having for lunch? Aliens? What's on television? Aliens? That one's true, because there's actually aliens on television. But you sit in the middle of it's more detailed than this. It's let me say this. It's more detailed than what I'm about to say. It doesn't make any more sense. It doesn't make any more sense. You sit in the middle of nowhere and you go, aliens, aliens, aliens. You have a little pennant that says aliens on it. And then you see lights in the sky. And you're... Okay. The, okay, here's the thing. There are the, the people who actually... like do, Military officials aren't going to do that. And here's the thing. If that works, if that does work, then that's not an alien ship. That's some other phenomenon. 
One, because people think about aliens all the time, right? James Cameron, for example. But UFOs aren't buzzing his house. If you can sit in the middle of nowhere, and I'll tell you exactly what it is, actually. Like, it's you... (laughs) Maybe now's not a good time to do this story, because I'm fired up. If you sit in the middle of nowhere, and you're thinking about pot pie, and you're looking up, or Pol Pot, Pol Pot's pot pie, you're looking up in the sky, and you see a light... You probably won't even register it. You're so hungry for a brutal dictator's chicken pot pie recipe. But if you're focused on aliens and you're imagining aliens and you do that for, say, three hours, you're eventually going to see a light in the sky. You know, it's it, it's bias. And also, it could be your insanity creeping in because you're just staring up at the sky going, aliens, aliens. But anyway, so that's coherent thought sequencing. And so you have this weird philosophy that goes, aliens are like from somewhere within the psyche, man. And then you have military officials being like, on August 2nd, 1999, a UFO. So what is it? Are they big old metallic discs that have crews in them? Or are they stuff you can summon with your brain? But anyways, at the C-SETI headquarters, they have a thing called the C-SETI Rapid Mobilization Investigation Team. So these guys are ready to go. I imagine, like, some guy sitting at home, tick, 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 on, on some alien forum, watching alien porn at the same time in another window, gets a phone call, bring, bring, picks up the phone. See SETI rabid mobilization investigation teams calling. Is Joseph there? And then, Joseph! Your buddies from the UFO thing are on the phone again! Mom! And he runs up the stairs, picks up the phone. This is Joseph. He changes, makes his voice super deep. Once his mom leaves the room, this is Joseph. Joseph, cancel your plans. We have a rapid mobilization thing to do. And Joseph's like, I'm with C. SETI. I have no plans. Click. And so they all hop in a van and they drive out. This team involves the executive director of C. SETI, which is named Sherry. We have Dr. Stephen Greer. There's an unnamed woman from New York. So take your pick. What are there, like 5 million people there? Any one of them. A named woman from New York. A cameraman. And then there's some people from this group called the OVNI Club, which is a Mexican UFOlogy group, UFO hunters. So they're going out to the Los Mitras Mountains, December 11th to December 14th. And they go out to the Los Mitras Mountains. And for the first two nights, they just see some lights in the sky. And Stephen Greer turning around. See, I told you, we came out here looking for lights in a sky. And guess what? There's there's lights in the sky. They're called stars. But no, no, no. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about that one that moved in a straight angle and then disappeared. Did you stop thinking about the aliens? That's why it disappeared. And when it's thundering, that is God bowling. Everyone's like, oh, Dr. Stephen Greer, you totally know what you're talking about. So anyways, for the first two nights, it's just lights in the sky, right? So then, Dr. Stephen Greer, Sherry, they're walking. This is December 13th. It's 1 a.m. They're walking down a dirt road. Remember, this guy talks to, like, generals and stuff like that. Okay? This is like a high-ranking member of the UFO community. People who actually fly fighter jets and see UFOs, like, 30,000 feet up, talk to this dude. So Dr. Stephen Greer, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Dr. Stephen Greer, Sherry, all these other people, the woman from New York, are walking down this dirt road, and Sherry starts to feel energy. Oh, whoa. She's feeling energy. Now, she begins to, quote-unquote, perceive small, 
square-shouldered creatures in the bush. She doesn't see them. She can't see them. She just perceives them. And then she gives us a then she gives us a full description of them, which if you perceive something and you can't see it, but then you can totally describe it, it's called imagination. Okay? But anyway, so these small square-shouldered creatures, they come up to her knees. She says they have uniforms on that are either a dull orange or a rust color. Again, she can't see them. She can't see them at all. But she knows what color their clothes are. And she's standing there. It's 1 a.m. She's with all these people. Dr. S- Dr. Stephen Greer is there. And Sherry's like, <sighs> no, Sherry goes, stop, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. There are aliens, little alien, perfectly, aliens that can perfectly hide in this bush that I'm standing in front of. I can perceive them. I see these aliens in my head. Don't, before people run over to the bush. No, 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 just in my head. But they're over there. And you can't videotape them. You can videotape them because they're scared of cameras. Now, I imagine at this point that Sherry's like Stephen. Or she probably calls him Dr. Greer. Dr. Greer, I have made contact with bush tall aliens as tall as a bush conveniently in this bush blocking their view. And Dr. Greer goes, damn, I wish I would have made that up. I mean... I wish I would have discovered that as well. I wish I would have been closer to the bush and had the power that LeVar Burton always talked about, the power of imagination, but alas, I don't. I do not have that power. So Sherry is talking about these guys. Now, she has this great quote. She has this great quote. Quote, These rich, rare exchanges with what appear to be extraterrestrial life forms are very delicate scenarios. Any sudden rash or extreme emotion or movement can thwart the entire event and bring it to a screeching halt and the extraterrestrials vanish. These guys fly UFOs through radioactive storms. They traverse asteroid belts that go on for light years. Alien crafts are flying past dying suns, but don't get mad at them. Don't get mad, right? That might scare them. As they travel through the interdimensional barriers between sanity and insanity. But don't, don't frown. Don't frown. They'll run away then. They'll get back in their ship and fly back through a black hole. A light-destroying black hole. But don't get mad. So, again, this is absolute nonsense. Top-level groups. C-SETI is one of the most respected groups in UFOlogy. And I think part of it is... People don't look into the weeds. They just see this field of all of this research. But this is the type of research that's coming out of this group. So the aliens are telling Sherry, telepathically, we're having a hard time adjusting our energies to you. Like, we want to have more of a communication with you, but there's something... Let me read this next part to you, because I just can't. There's no other way I can can paraphrase this. This is going to be a long episode. It's going to be a long episode. Quote, I could mentally hear concerned conversations going on amongst the small beings. They eventually conveyed to me the message. Again, mentally, she's very, very clear. None of this stuff can be proven in any way, shape, or form. They eventually conveyed to me the message, again, mentally, that they were having difficulty adjusting our energies in preparation for a meeting because my physical energy was concentrated on my stomach, trying to digest some food. Just before all this began, I I had eaten half of a power bar, a dense protein energy food. So, first off, that's horrible product placement for power bars, right? Because you would think if you're going to be walking around an area for three days, pretending there's UFOs in the sky, 
you're going to want to have food that's easy to carry. But don't bring power bars, because if you eat a power bar, aliens cannot telepathically communicate with you. That actually should be an advertisement for, like, cliff bars. They should be like, our bars are easily digestible, unlike power bars that make it so aliens can't convince you they're really there. So, she's standing there, she ate half, if she had eaten a whole power bar, we could have been looking at an intergalactic incident. They may have just opened fire on her. But she has half a power bar sitting in, this is real, by the way. This is, this is from a real report. It's not real in the sense, these events, these people were standing in the mountains, okay? I know that. But, I mean, this isn't something... I didn't get this from the Weekly World News. This is something that C. Seti prepared. This is a report they prepared. Sherry ate half a power bar. The aliens can't communicate with her. So then, she's she's focusing on the aliens. I also like how she describes it as a dense protein energy food. First off, we we know what power bars are, but if we don't, I've never, ever heard of them referred to as a dense protein energy food. She's trying to make it sound scientific. I ate a piece of poop that tasted like chalk. There's power bar. That's the description of a power bar for you. Anyways, she the aliens are like, we really want to talk to you, but you have a half a power bar in your stomach. So then she gives them these delicate life forms that have the ability to not only construct UFOs, but then to fly them through supernovas. They don't like power bars, though. Too much power. She says, quote, she doesn't say it again. She thinks it, so there's really no proof of this. Quote, I give you permission to take it out of my body. And then this is the rest of this passage. Suddenly, I felt as if someone was standing some distance away with a fishing line whose hook was inside my stomach. It felt as if someone was slowly reeling in the line as the food came back out. The way it went in. She just threw up. But now she says, she lets us know, she she normally hates throwing up. As opposed to those people who love it, right? Everyone hates throwing up. Unless you're like .001%. Everyone, you don't have to, you don't, I didn't, when I was reading the story, I wasn't thinking, but she's probably one of those people who loves throwing up. I'm a skeptic. I was, nobody wants to throw up, especially in front of their buddies, especially not half of a power bar, because I think those things are just, they reform, like the T-1000 in your stomach. You take bites out of it, but in your stomach, it just becomes that black brick again. Anyways, this invisible fishing line pulls it out, and she goes, Bleh! throws up the power bar. Now, Dr. Stephen Greer, he watches his executive director, who's currently believing that she sees, quote-unquote, sees... Bush-high creatures conveniently hidden in a bush. She throws up. And then she feels better, right? Now, it could have just been that she ate a power bar, which is what made her throw up. But no, 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 it was the aliens. And then, again, another very convenient thing that's going to happen is that the aliens instruct Sherry and... Tell me, tell me... This is 100% a Little Red writing tactic. Let me read you this thing. Quote, Soon the little beans... Sent not beans like little kidney beans, but like human beans, or in this term, alien beans. Soon the little beans sent both Dr. Greer and I. So now they're contacting Dr. Greer. Now he, now she, he noticed she kept winking at him. She's like, there's aliens in the bush, wink, wink. And they're communicating telepathically, wink, wink. Dr. Stephen Greer's like, what are you talking about? You and saying, oh, I can pretend to. The woman from New York's like, oh, he's so cool. 
Anyways, now Dr. Stephen Greer is also getting messages from these made-up creatures. And the made-up creatures, let me go back to this. Soon the little beans sent both Dr. Greer and I the message that if we removed our glasses, we would be able to see them better. What? That is something, like, that's not... You know, the demons in your corner and be like, if you really want to talk to me, you have to use the Ouija board at 3 a.m. Oh, okay, thanks. If, if I'm in the middle of nowhere and I hear a voice in my head saying, take your glasses off and you can see me better, I'm not, I'm putting on another pair of glasses, right? Because now I'm getting rushed from the woods. But these guys are like, yes, alien overlords, we will, we will defeat humanity for you and bow at your feet. What, what else do you request? The aliens also asked them to take their hats off. So I'm starting to, I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. The aliens go, mm, yes, your glasses are off. Now how about take your hats off? Now at this point, like some blue mist shows up and Dr. Stephen Greer and Sherry perceive, they become aware of something in it. And she goes, although again, we could only see him dimly, he appeared to be very humanoid. They're not wearing glasses, by the way. It's 1 a.m. They don't have their hats on. I'm sure dust is getting in their eyes. They see a mist and they go, yeah, he's a, he's a tall humanoid with a long, straight and silverish hair. He seemed to be wearing a light blue and silver uniform. But so this now this blurry image, this blurry image in front of two people who don't have their glasses on is floating there. Now he goes, the alien goes or or their imagination goes, I would love to fully physically form in front of you. I would love to be corporeal. We could have a discussion. But somebody in your group, I can sense somebody. in That's almost Inception. Your imagination has an imagination. But anyways, I can sense someone in your group would be dangerously frightened if I just appeared. Not frightened that they're stuck with two lunatics in the middle of the Mexican desert who say that there's tiny tiny creatures telling them to take off their glasses and their hat. That doesn't scare them. Or that the blue, and that they do it, that they totally do what these things in the bushes are doing. Not that blue mist is showing up, but if he pops out of the mist and goes, ta-da, someone's going to have a heart attack. So the alien's like, I'm not going to do that. And then Stephen Greer... And Sherry, they think about it. They think about it. I almost imagine it's like, you know, when two people are trying to remember the lyrics of a song, but neither of them know anything but the chorus. And they're like trying to, these two people, they're putting on a show, right? You got the OVNI, you got the UFO club there. You got the woman from New York. You got a cameraman too. Remember, there's a cameraman here. The footage is just of a bush and maybe a cloud in the mountains. But anyways... I, there was no footage. There was no leak for the footage, which shows how useless it is. But I, you know how like two people are trying to remember the lyrics to a song, but they are just waiting for the chorus, "Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer," and they're like, duh, duh. I imagine them going like, and and then the alien goes, yeah, yeah, and the alien's like tall, yeah, 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 and it's like silver, sil- blue, blue, sil- no, yeah, yes, yeah, silver, right, silver hair, and he's saying so we the, should um, um uh, go, but shop- no, 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 not no, no, not shopping. We should, sh- uh, we should not be scared. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people in the background are like. This is amazing. Hold me closer. Hold me closer, Tiny Dancer. This goes on for a bit. They eventually go, well, if you won't come to us, can you take us somewhere? And the alien goes, that, that, would, that, would, also ter- that would also equally terrify this person. This would also equally terrify this person if you guys magically disappeared. Now, again, Dr. Stephen Greer has met with members of Congress. He's met with military officials. He's met with high-ranking people. and. The end of the story is them going like, ah, oh, shucks. Like, I almost had the chance to talk to an alien, but someone was too scared. It was the New Yorker. 
It was the New Yorker girl. So, because what happened was, the New Yorker girl was totally freaked out by this whole thing. And she said, I, if I saw an alien, I was just going to take off running through the mountains. And so they're like, there you go. Now, you military official who has to risk your entire career to come forward and say that you saw this thing, you should do that on camera. But me and my group, yeah, we just took a couple pictures of a bush. And then we did a game of yes and for probably about 20, 30 minutes. And then we just quit. But you, sir, go on the record. You risk your entire career and national ridicule. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to do this, right? And tell this story. The next day, they do a television show the next day. I don't know if they bring this up because the audience would be like, what? In Tarnation, it's all sponsored by Power Bar. They're like, uh-oh. But people, I mean, obviously the story is ridiculous. But he, he's a super famous dude. And again, he's I'm sure he's a nice guy, right? He's definitely put in the work to build up his following. But this is the reason why people are skeptical, okay? I know that you can watch the the Disclosure documentary or the Serious documentary. He has a new documentary on, like, Amazon, Netflix called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. So he, I mean, I'll give him respect. He's built a name. He's built a brand. And I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a smart guy. But, come on, this is... <sighs> this is obviously... There's not a documentary about this, right? Because anyone in their right mind would go, that's super convenient that everything, you took your glasses off before you saw an alien, or they were conveniently sized, they were bush-sized behind a bush. Well, anyways, the next day they're doing all of these television interviews and things like that. Now it's 11.30 p.m. They're driving back to their home. Now, their videographer, their cameraman, was not here. What? He wasn't here for this part. What? He, oh, no. What could possibly happen now? The guy with the ability to record things isn't here. That's wacky. So what happens is, while there's no proof, Dr. Stephen Greer and Cherry and all that stuff, they see like a bright lights in the sky and Dr. Greer jumped from the Suburban while it was still rolling like an action hero. And then he like did a barrel roll and he his hat, he picked his hat up off the ground and put it on and then two screaming eagles flew overhead. Ah! At the exact same time. He had a 500,000 candle power portable halogen light. He's lighting the stuff up, and then the light is lighting up, and then they're, like, talking. Like, he'll shine the light, and then the light shines up, then he shines the light, and the light shines up. And he goes, at a certain point, there's, like, we see, like, this beam come out of the sky, and we see shadows walking in front of the beam, and... But no cameraman! What? Oh, no! Oh, oh, shucks! You guys want evidence? What? No, just ruin your military career! But I don't have a cameraman! I don't have a cameraman when I'm in Mexico to do an investigation! But no! And then they travel back to where they're staying, and they get up on the roof, and they watch the lights in the sky. So I'm not doubting that it was probably fun. I, I'm sure it was beautiful out there. You're out in the middle of nowhere, you get to see the Milky Way and all of its splendor and all that stuff, and you... Listen, I believe in UFOs. That's one of the things that I don't deny. I don't know if they come from other planets, and I think a lot of the big UFO stories have a lot of holes in them, like stuff like Roswell or Rendlesham have some definitely big iffy things, but I don't use those to discount UFOs across the board. Like, I do believe that, first off, I do believe there's unidentified flying objects, and I do believe that there is life outside of Earth. I don't know if aliens, what we perceive as aliens, are actually from other planets, if they're from other dimensions, 
if they came here millions of years ago and they're in some sort of cave system. I don't know. I am ghosts and demons and stuff like that. I believe this conversation could be the same thing. You're up in an area that it's haunted and there's a ghost. But see, it's funny because there's a people who believe in UFOs believe for the most part of it. See, see, SETI's kind of pushing the goalposts, pushing the goalposts. There are people who hunt Squatch. They're Sasquatch hunters and they look at them as a biological creature that has a tribe and mating habits and a diet, then there are other people who believe it's some sort of spirit, some sort of nature thing. That that would be more where I'm going. I don't buy the biological Bigfoot thing. If Bigfoot sightings are real, it's some sort of paranormal activity as far as like ghost goes or related to alien activity, high strangeness. Ghosts, though, have the ability that you don't see them. People can go their entire life without, quote-unquote, seeing a ghost, but still go, I live in a haunted house. I hear stuff late at night. I've never seen anything fly around. I've never seen anything super dramatic. Aliens fall more into the biological category. They have races and fleets of ships, and they have command structures and the uniforms and things like that. But groups like C-SETI realize that that bar is incredibly high to prove. Bigfoot, the thing with the biological Bigfoot thing, you find footprints, and you go, well, that's weird. You know, deer leave footprints, people leave footprints. Found a footprint. That's evidence enough. That's evidence enough for a lot of people who are squatch hunters or hare. Because sometimes you'll just find trappings of animals in areas. You may not see an elk in your area, but you'll see elk footprints. Ghosts can just be like, I bought a teacup, and ever since then, I've had a runny nose. Yes, it is May, and I do live in a high allergy area, but I bought the teacup the end of April. So. Aliens demand biological proof. Wreckage of ships, alien bodies, or their aftermath, crop circles, catamulations, stuff like that. C. SETI is trying to push the goalpost, being like, no, 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 no. Go- aliens can also be in your imagination. Aliens can also be this thing you sense more than you see. And they've built this their whole group around this. And it's interesting because C. SETI seems to be different than the Disclosure Project, even though they're both spearheaded by the same guy. C. SETI has that, we can sit and we can imagine the UFOs, man. And again, a four-star general is going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, I just had an F-18, do they still even make those? I just had an F-22 get outrun by something, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's from Iran, Russia, but I need to know. I don't think the pilot was up there being like, dude, I can sense an unidentified area vehicle in front of me. And then one just up here. That's not what they want. So C. SETI's moving the goalposts. The Disclosure Project is getting people in the military, getting congressional members to push for alien disclosure. But one group is, comp- one group is, is fanciful. And the other group is what people normally think of as aliens. It's a biological entity that has a fleet of ships that comes from a location. Whether or not they're from another dimension or they're from another planet. They have a location. They have a society. They have a culture. They have mechanics. They have doctors. They have soldiers. They have leaders. This imagining people in the bushes thing is not that. And you, so to really wrap this incredibly long episode up, you have to be skeptical about this stuff. You have to be skeptical about this stuff because this is the type of stuff you're getting, right? You may get someone who is releasing the Tic Tac video because Disclosure Product Project has been all over that and so has To The Stars. And that's the thing. I get a lot of requests from people going, why don't you cover To The Stars? That's Tom DeLonge's UFO group that wants to push for disclosure. The reason why I haven't covered it is because of nonsense like this that I just really need to look into 
why the group was... I know a lot of people think it's a, a soft disclosure CIA group, but people were saying that about the Disclosure Project. The Disclosure Project is run by people who believe that bush-sized aliens hide in bushes and can't talk to you because you eat power bars. So you've got to be skeptical. I know it can take the fun out of it sometimes, but if you're not skeptical, you go, you'll be, oh, shucks, did you hear the Red Baron shot down a UFO? Because that's been repeated a couple times. It's in two books! It's in two books that have been published and are out there, and people are reading them. Now, I've made mistakes on this show before as well, The Lone Pine Devils and The Civil War Aliens. And both of those mistakes, I was like, oh, I made a mistake. I got other information. I was wrong. Now, I can get it if someone, I'm back to that stupid Red Baron story, and I can get it if someone came across a Red Baron story, but they referenced the Weekly World News. You can't excuse it saying this old, okay, I'm, I can't talk about the stupid Red Baron story anymore, because I'm just getting mad again. The point is, is that, you have to pay attention to this stuff. Now, I'm going to end it on a good note. I absolutely loved reading this Mexican Mountain article because it really, one, thought it was absolutely hilarious. And two, it confirmed my bias that a lot of the people who are into this stuff just using their imagination. And like LeVar Burton said, imagination is a powerful tool. It definitely kept me entertained. I was laughing out loud as I was reading this article. And I hope you had an equally fun time with me talking to you about it. Because I think it's absolutely ludicrous. But the next time you hear about the Disclosure Project or C-SETI or any of this stuff. And they're trying to get these high-level government officials to come forward and to risk their career to talk about secret documents and stuff that they saw. Just remember, just remember... That cold night in those mountains in Mexico when a C-SETI member threw up a power bar so she could talk to an alien. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. <laughs> Dead Rabbit Radio is a daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.